She was right there, wasn't she? Yeah. Amen. All right. I appreciate everyone's uh, patience. We had a camera go out at about uh, 20 minutes to 5, and um, we did a quick change to say the least. Praise God. So we're excited about that. For some reason, our um, 
Let's see here if I can get this straight. I appreciate everybody bearing with me. There we go. Okay, I think we got everything hooked up here. So let's pray. Amen. I need to pray and, uh, and get myself kind of settled here for a second. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Father, thank you for this technology that enables us to uh, broadcast your word, Lord, um, all over the world. And Lord, that's not an exaggeration. There are folks uh, many, many, many uh, miles and continents away, Lord, that are watching this class. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I just thank you tonight for um, the opportunity to join in together with these beautiful men and women as we look into your word. I thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is our teacher. And Lord, we acknowledge him as our teacher. We submit ourselves to him. Father, he is the great convincer of men's and women's hearts, Lord. And I thank you that he is convincing us of your word and convincing us of your truth, Lord. I thank you, Father, tonight, not only for those who are joining this class and growing and learning, Father, by the word that you're bringing to us tonight. But Father, I thank you also in advance for all the lives that will be impacted for your glory and for your kingdom by these men and women. For Lord, truly, you are equipping us to be more effective in what it is that you've called us to do. Lord, thank you that you've included us in the family business. Thank you, Father, that you've placed your hand upon us. You've put your power within us, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that you have called us and your call on our lives is an upward call, Father, and so we answer that, and we know, Father, that you're trying to bring us to a higher place. Lord, a higher place of fellowship with you, Lord, a higher place of wisdom and understanding, Lord, in you, and Lord, a higher place of equipping to be more effective, Lord, in what you've called and created us to do. Lord, we thank you that tonight is a night of destiny. This class is a class of destiny, Father. We, what we mean by that, Lord, is that, is that you had this date circled on your calendar long before we ever arrived here. And I thank you, Father, tonight that your purposes will be fulfilled in our lives and in the lives of those who are participating. And once again, we believe you for good things because, Jesus, we proclaim you as the high priest of good things to come in our lives. And so we pray these things now, agreeing together in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. So this is uh, class number eight. Tonight we're going to talk a little more about the ministry of reconciliation, and then we're going to specifically look at the word of reconciliation. So if you're wondering what happened to uh, last week's class, um, last week should have been class number eight, but we had a, a strange uh, incident take place here uh, at the church. We had an 18-wheeler go rogue in a parking lot, and it didn't just pull down the power lines, it pulled down the poles, those lines were on, the internet lines, all of that, and so uh, we, we did not have a class or service here at Heritage last Wednesday evening. So, uh, but anyway, uh, some of you were a week or two behind, so I know I talked with some of you, said you're going to use that opportunity to get caught up. So uh, hopefully you, you did. Um, and so tonight, let's, um, let's begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, verse number 14. Praise God. Um, I had to uh, unplug that particular screen because we had the, 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 the second camera, um, the emergency camera, the cord on it wasn't long enough to, to reach. And so, amen. Praise God. But I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. Can you guys see this one over here? Okay. All right. Amen. All right. So if, if there is a biblical foundation for the 36 classes that are Discipleship Counselor Training class, it's this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. Now, the last time we were together, we said that these verses are the crossroads of many important doctrines. And a doctrine is simply a system of teaching. And so there are very uh, important and multiple uh, teachings uh, from the Word of God, truth from the Word of God that we find all intersecting here 
um, in these verses. And so let's work our way through them. Uh, class number seven, we spent almost the entire class breaking down uh, these verses uh, verse by verse, and in some cases even word by word. So we're not going to you know, take another hour to do that, uh, but we will comment a little bit along the way. So um, it says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. When Paul says we judge thus, he, he means we've come to this conclusion, we've reached this determination, that if one died for all, and you'll notice um, the, the O in the word one is capitalized because it's speaking of, of none other than Jesus himself. And so this doctrine is, uh, is Jesus' substitutionary work for us, meaning what? Meaning that, that he died for you and as you. So when he died, that means we all died with him. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. You'll notice as we work our way um, through these verses that the word therefore is used a couple of times and the word now is used a couple of times. And... Of course, what those words are doing, it's, it's connecting all of this together. We could uh, spend weeks on each one of these doctrines, and as the classes unfold, we'll certainly take some more time. For instance, we mentioned Jesus' uh, substitutionary. He, he stepped in for us. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And we will spend uh, some you know, ample amount of time uh, talking about that in, in the days, of head, uh, days ahead. But in this particular passage, it's not necessarily meant to uh, teach us everything that we are to understand and know about one dying for all and us all dying with him. But because obviously this is talked about in other places in the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, what we have here is a mentioning of this doctrine for us to understand how this connects with other things, how all of these things uh, come together and are connected and related uh, together. And so that's what therefore means. Therefore, means in light of what we just said, in light of what, you know, the verses that came before this, uh, here is another baseline of truth or another baseline of understanding. So he says, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So what is he saying? He's saying that in the same way there was more to Jesus than met the eye. Um, the Bible says of Jesus that he basically looked like other people uh, you know, just to look at him, he didn't outwardly appear to be any different from any other human being. Uh, but of course, we know that he was much different <laughs> from all other human beings uh, because of, of, of who he was and, and because, uh, you know, he was born of God. He, he was uh, Jesus, the Son of God, eternal Son of God made flesh here upon the earth. But again, he's not just talking about that Jesus had something different about him on the inside. He's saying in the same way that Jesus was different on the inside. In the same way there was more to Jesus than met the eye, there's more to you than meets the eye. There's more going on in your inward man than your outward man even has the ability to, to reveal or project to, uh, to the world around us. And so he, he's saying this about Jesus, but the connection that he's wanting us to make is that it's true about you and me. Remember, let's connect something else together now. In John, the third chapter, that was two classes ago, Jesus said, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus was talking about the miracles and, and signs that He was producing. 
And he was explaining to Nicodemus that the miracles that, that Nicodemus was, was watching and witnessing um, were visible results being produced from an invisible source. Remember, that was the first question Nicodemus asked. We know God's with you because no man could do the things that you do unless God be with you. And so as Jesus gets around to answering this question that Nicodemus has, he explains to him that when you see the wind blow a tree, you see the tree move, but you don't see the wind that moves it. It's something invisible producing something visible. And so in the case of Jesus, Jesus was producing miracles that Nicodemus could see with his physical eyes, but Jesus was able to produce them from a source that Nicodemus could not see. Now, again, that's not just because he was Jesus. Jesus is saying this was true of him, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, we see it again here that in the same way, Jesus had something in him that was not necessarily visible to the you know, average onlooker, um, but we know now, those who were even close to him know now that there was so much more to him inwardly um, than they ever you know, noticed, at, at least initially, outwardly. Um, he's saying that this is true about everyone who's been born again. This is what, if one died for all, then all died. Th this is talking about the very essence of our salvation. We died with Jesus, we were buried with Jesus, and we were raised up together with Jesus to newness of life. And so that's, that's what's being referenced in uh, verse 14, how this then should be the determining factor in how we live our lives and approach this thing called life, um, that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who died for us and rose again. But then also, not just how we see ourselves, because when Paul says the love of Christ compelled him, what he's saying here is that he, he realized that the love, first of all, the love that Jesus had for him to do for him what he did for him, but the same love that Jesus had for Paul, the same love that Jesus has for me, the same love that he has for you, he has for everybody. He, he, in other words, he didn't just do it for Paul. He didn't just do it for the Jews. He did it for God so loved the world. He did it for everybody. And so it was this revelation, this understanding of the love of God for all human beings that, that compelled Paul to do uh, and to minister the way that he ministered. Oh, we could talk for a long time about that. We'll circle back around again in the days ahead. Let's keep going here. Verse number 17. This may be the most uh, familiar verse of all of these, this set of verses. Therefore, again, there's another therefore. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I know that you're probably familiar with, with that verse and hopefully the ones that come after it, but don't miss the connection. The connection is verse 16. Um, even though we knew Christ according to the flesh, we know Him thus no longer, because if He died for one, He died for all. If one died for all, then all died. So now He's saying th this is what has uh, provided the opportunity for you and me to become a new creation. Th this is why um, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, because we have been born again. Now notice, old things have passed away, not will pass away, old things have passed away. Behold, Behold means to spend some time considering, take a look at it, check it out, look closely into it. All things have become new. He's not talking about your flesh. Your flesh wasn't born again. He's not talking about your soul. Your soul wasn't born again. He's talking about your spirit. Your spirit is where all things have become new. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of of reconciliation. So not only have we been reconciled to God, and remember we said this word reconciled 
means to reestablish a close relationship between. To reestablish a close relationship between. Not just establish a close relationship, but to reestablish a close relationship. And so the, the, the close relationship and fellowship that's being renewed and restored uh, and, and, and reconciled is speaking of not just the fellowship that God enjoyed with Adam in the Garden of Eden, but remember, we were all in God before we were ever in our mother's womb. In other words, our, our sin separated us from Him, but Jesus came to uh, fix our sin problem so that we could become one with God once again. So this is what it means to be reconciled to God. It means to be restored, reestablished, back into fellowship with Him, back into right standing with Him, back into oneness or uh, union, communion, common union um, with Him. And listen... I don't know how you're feeling tonight, but I mean, I certainly hope you're feeling well. I certainly hope you're feeling joy and peace and, and, and all of these things that are your birthright as a child of God. But what we're talking about right now doesn't have anything to do with feelings. It has to do with the reality of, of your new birth. It has to do with the reality of what Jesus um, has done for you. And whether you feel close to God tonight or not, you've been made one with Him. You are one with Him. Feelings come and go. Feelings are up and down. And so, and so many times we let our own actions and mood and behavior and, and, and diligence and so forth and so on determine how we feel. But the reality of it is you've been made one with God. He gave you a new spirit when, when, when you were born again and your born again spirit and God's spirit became one spirit. So He's reconciled us to Himself. Notice it says, who has reconciled, past tense. Not will reconcile, but has reconciled. You've been reconciled to God. Somebody say it with me. I've been reconciled to God. I mean, I've been reconciled. I've been reconciled. Man, this, this is uh, so fabulously important. But not only have you been reconciled to God, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, this is a bit concerning to me. And, and as we've worked our way through seven classes now into in class number eight, I have uh, taken a minute or two as we've worked our way through these classes to share with you some of the things that are, are concerning for me um, when we talk about the body of Christ and we talk about where we are as God's people in the earth. And, and you know, it's sad to me that um, so many of God's people don't have much of an understanding about discipleship, first of all, uh, what it is, what it's for, what it's about, much less have committed themselves to the process of discipleship. And then you, you join to that this idea that, you know, how many of God's people can even give us a working definition of reconciliation? How, how many of God's people even, even know what it is or what it means to be reconciled to God, uh, much less that they've been given the ministry, they've been entrusted with the, the ministry of reconciliation. It's, it's one of the uh, main uh, doorways, and you know, we talk about your salvation. It's so many people get saved and they stay right there at the door of salvation. Salvation is not a means to an end. It's it is an opening into the ability to fulfill why God put you on this earth in the first place. And you know, you can be uh, in in the medical profession. You can be in the service industry. You you, you may not be operating um, in the uh, office of a pastor or evangelist or apostle, you know, one of those five-fold areas of, of ministry. Um, but this is one thing that every born-again believer has in common. Every born-again believer 
has not only been called to do the, the uh, ministry of reconciliation, um, it, it is, um, how do I say this? L- let, me, let me step back for a minute. I kind of skipped over some of the review that we normally do while, while uh, you know, we're in this section of the teaching. So let me step back and remind you, every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. When I talk about things that concern me about the body of Christ, this is another one of those things that concern me because so many people in the body of Christ think the work of the ministry is the pastor's job. The work of the ministry is the prophet's job. But the pastor's job, the teacher's job, the prophet's job, the evangelist's job, the apostle's job is to equip the individual believer to do the work of the ministry. To do the work of the ministry. And so when we talk about being involved in ministry and doing ministry, this is so very important. And, and as we work our way through, I told you last time we were together, the most simple and important advice that I could ever give anybody is simply this, agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. One way we could talk about agreeing with God and what that means is to get on the same page with God. Uh, get yourself in alignment with, get yourself in agreement with Him. You, you do yourself no favors to try to argue with Him uh, and trying to convince Him that what He says is true about you is not true about you. If God says it's true about you, it's true about you even if it doesn't look, seem, or feel like it's true about you. But as long as you continue to disagree with Him, see, God, let the, rich man, let the poor man rather say I'm rich, let the weak man say I'm strong, let the sick man say I'm healed. God says you're, you're, you're wealthy and prosperous. God says that you're, you're strong and, and mighty. God says that, that by, his stripes, by the stripes of Jesus you were healed. And so to agree with God, to get on the same page with Him, and this is one of those areas where so many in the body of Christ are not on the same page with God. God says He's given to you the ministry of reconciliation and so many of His children don't even know what that is, much less how to do it or, or, or how to even you know, start to get involved in it. Let me remind you of something else that we've said. Anything God does in you, He ultimately wants to do through you. Anything God does in you, He ultimately wants to do through you. So for instance, when you were born again, God then wants to use you as an instrument of righteousness to see other people come to, uh, to that salvation experience as well. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, He then wants to use you as an instrument to not only testify to other people, share you know, what God's done in your life and, 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 and how the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit and, and, and these things you know, impacted and changed and made a difference in your life, but to also lay hands on those people, lead them in that same experience. Same is true with healing, same is true with deliverance. Same is true with prospering. All, all of these things. Anything God does in you, He ultimately wants to do through you. And remember, our, our growth um, will come to a screeching halt un- unless and until we move beyond um, being served and start to serve other people. As long as our entire relationship with God is, is about what God can do for us, what God's people can do for us, how somebody can help us, how somebody can serve us, we're only going to be able to grow so far. So it is, a, it is a, an important and, and major step forward when we turn the focus to other people to begin to minister to them, to reach out to them and serve them. 
In the same way that a, a, a young man or a young lady, as long as they have a mother or a father that does everything for them, that, that, that washes their clothes, fixes their food, um, does all the chores around the house, and, and expects and requires nothing of them, this, this is going to be a young man or a young lady who's going to be severely limited in their growth and development as, as a human being. It was at some point, they've got to begin to do things for themselves, and then at some point, they've got to begin to do things for other people. So, and how all of this is connected to discipleship and how all this is connected to our growth and development. So when I tell you every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry, has been entrusted with a portion of the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this is one, no matter what um, occupation you may have, no matter what the label on your door or business card says, we are all ministers of reconciliation. Alright, so let's keep going here. Verse uh, 19, that is... That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So two key things. Verse 18, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, He has committed to you and to me the word of reconciliation. So those two things, and we'll explain this, get into this uh, more tonight, but what we see is that your ability to effectively do the ministry of reconciliation uh, is directly connected to God's word of reconciliation. Um, praise God. Let's keep going here. Now then, so there's another connection joining these things together. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. The United States has uh, ambassadors uh, in many foreign countries. An ambassador is someone who represents the government and interests of one nation or kingdom within the boundaries of another nation or kingdom. So we've already looked at the verses in John and other places where we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Our citizenship, the Bible makes it very clear, heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Remember in John 17, where we looked at those verses, Jesus praying for us. He says, Father... I do not pray that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them and keep them while they're in this world. Because we're in this world on assignment. We're in this world to, to do work and ministry and service for our Father and for His kingdom. So we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Let me... Man, this keeps, this keeps bouncing up in my spirit. And so I, I just feel compelled to, to, to share it again. We talked about these things on, uh, on Sunday at Heritage. And, um, and let me just, real quick, like if, if I could, um, I, I hope I don't sound like I'm, 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 I'm fussing or have an edge or, or whatever tonight. I'm, I, I, I'm not trying to pick a bone with anybody. But let, let me just, the sad thing, again, for me, when it, when it comes to so many in the body of Christ, is such a low interest in, in serving God. And, you know, the front door of my parents' house growing up was this little placard, it's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And somewhere, you know, in, in, in one of the hallways, it was cross-stitched, same things. For years in the living room, this, it was kind of a, a medium-colored pecan wood with a gold uh, plaque on it. Again, as for me and my house, we're going to 
serve the Lord. And there's something about that verse that registers deep within people. And, and a lot of people, you know, they say, hey, you know what, that's, that's what we're going to do. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's very sad to me, in the, in the 21st century, so many of God's people, they call coming to church serving the Lord. And, and as important as church attendance is, as important as even being a part of some, a class like this actually is, this is something that you're doing for yourself. It's, it's something that you're doing to benefit from personally. It's something that's, that's helping you, equipping you, bettering you. I'm not making light of it. Don't misunderstand me. But coming to church is not the same thing as serving God. Serving God is, is actually doing something for God. And I know that sounds almost you know, so simple that it shouldn't be mentioned, but, but yet that's what... For so many, serving God just simply means coming to church. And, and serving God is way, way more than that. Now, you're standing with God. How, how He looks at you, you're, you're right standing with Him, also known as your righteousness. That has nothing to do with your works. Your, your right standing with God is based upon what Jesus has done for you, not what you do for God. We need to make that abundantly clear. But your rewards one day in heaven are absolutely based upon what you do for God. Absolutely based upon your service. Absolutely based upon what you've done in your lifetime with what God has given to you. He hasn't given everybody the same gifts and abilities. He hasn't given everybody the same uh, talents and callings. We're different in that. Uh, so that's why Jesus gave us the parable. Um, some people have five talent abilities. Some people have three talent ability, two talent ability, what have you. Um, but notice each person was individually judged, not based upon what the most talented and skilled person did, but each person judged based upon what they did for the Lord with what the Lord gave to them. So I, I feel so compelled to almost like I'm waving some red flag to warn God's people. We need to understand this. Uh, and, and when we talk about getting on the same page with God, uh, Neil Anderson, Dr. Neil T. Anderson, he has a, a quote along these lines that God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word. And, and that one word is reconciliation. God is about restoration. He's about salvation. All of these things. But each of these, you know, like for instance, salvation and all that Jesus did for us so that we could be born again. We could be reconciled to God. As long as we have a sin problem, we'll never be reconciled. We will never be reconciled to God in the way that God desires for us to be reconciled to Him. So, he says, we're ambassadors. You may not see yourself as an ambassador, but your heavenly Father sees you as an ambassador. You may not think of yourself that way, but He thinks of you that way. See, you know, the body of Christ loves to talk about how broken we are and some of the music, you know, you hear people talk about, you know, um, for such a worm as I, you know, favorite, favorite line for some religiously minded people in songs and stuff. And, and it's the devil's work to trivialize you. It's the devil's work to, to lower that bar and to lower that standard. Have you ever heard somebody refer to their pastor as our little preacher? <laughs> you ever heard that one? Oh, our little preacher. says a lot about what they think about them, doesn't it? That little line right there communicates a whole lot more, amen? Our little preacher, right? 
Well, <laughs> I need to get on with what I need to get on with here. Maybe I need to stay right here. Amen. In other words, the devil's constantly trying to trivialize. Um, I had a sister that, that um, I love, and I think she's watching these classes, and so I won't say her name. I wouldn't say her name if she wasn't watching, but, but she was talking about, um, you know, she was telling me with tears in her eyes. She was so thankful. She says, they gave me a little job, at the, and she told me this little, and I said, sister, it's not little. See, again, the devil's always trying to make, he's trying to trivialize it. He, this is a big deal. Man, I, I was, amen. I'm not, I'm not calling you out, sister. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Amen. Nothing little about it, right? So the devil's trying to trivialize everything. Notice, he's in, in, in everything, little preacher, little job, little this, little that. He's trying to make things that are really, really important seem like they're not that big a deal, like they're not important. This is, this is part of his, his work. This is, this is how he, he tries to operate. And, and so there, how many of God's people think that when they stand before God, they're going to be judged as an ambassador for the kingdom? Not a worm. Not the worm religion told, you know. I mean, if, if I'm going to be held to the standard of a worm, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm rolling big time. You know, I'm doing a lot better than any worm right now. But see, that's not, Father doesn't look at us as worms. He doesn't look at, at us as small, as little. You're, you are a, just look at the price He paid for you. We talk about the big deal. Amen. All right. I appreciate you giving me a shout out over there, sister. I wasn't going to throw you under the bus there. Amen. Amen. It wasn't, it, so it wasn't that she was ungrateful. She was very thankful. I mean, she had tears in her eyes. Um, amen. So if I said that, let me just brag on my sister a little bit more, okay? It's a rare thing in our world today when someone will readily receive correction and you have readily received it from me many times sister and and I people who know me and my wife knows me better probably than anybody in this room okay she knows that I'm not good at, at speaking up like that you know I let a lot of things slide but um, I know that from the first time I met you and some of the conversations we had that you you want the truth the whole truth just tell me Pastor Mark and, I, and so amen Amen, amen, and, uh, and God is, is working powerfully in your life, and quickly in your life, it's quick work He's doing in your life, and so it's exciting, praise God. All right, let me get back uh, here where we need to be. Verse 21, verse 21, he says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This brings us back around full circle to the substitutionary work that Jesus has done for us. I want to give you these same verses, if I could, in the Passion Translation. From the Passion Translation, these same uh, verses. It says this, and let me just, just kind of let them wash over you. Praise God, let me get back over on the overlay. All right, there we go. It says, for it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that He has given His life for all of us. This means all died with Him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for Him, the One who died for us and now lives again. Verse 16 from the Passion Translation. We have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. 
For that's how we once viewed the anointed one, but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to Himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the Anointed One that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions, and He has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the Anointed One who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to Him. For God... I'm sorry, let me get that verse up there. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know the righteous, no righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. Now, there was one verse... And I started talking about ambassadors, and, um, and I don't think I finished it, and I want to put that back up there, because this is really, really important as well, okay? So this is, um, let me get myself straight here. Uh, this is verse number 20. It says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. What did I tell you last class? If you read this tomorrow, it's still going to say now. If you read it six months from today, it's still going to say now. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is the part that I, I didn't read. And it's as though, listen to this now, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Think about what he's saying right there. Because he's given to us his word of reconciliation. When we open our mouths and speak his word of reconciliation to other people, it's as if God himself is speaking through you to them. You see why I'm telling you this is not a little thing. This is is a very, very big thing that um, the enemy will try to trivialize in our lives if we allow him to. Um, Let me give you a couple more verses here on reconciliation. Colossians chapter 1 and uh, verse number 19. Colossians 1 and 19. And we'll look at some others in the days ahead. Um, But let's... let's, uh, Let's go there right now. Colossians 1 and 19. It says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. And this, of course, is speaking of Jesus. And by Him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. Pay attention to the tenses. He has reconciled. Past tense. He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Let's let's try to... You know, not not try, we're going to do. Amen. Let's let the Holy Spirit, I'll say that in a better way. Let's let the Holy Spirit help us tonight understand this ministry of reconciliation. Now, when when we talk about the ministry of reconciliation, there are two primary divisions of the ministry of reconciliation. Two primary divisions. Um... 
So I've got a drawing I'll put up on the screen here in just a moment. Um, but let me do it this way first. The first division of the ministry of reconciliation is the new birth. Okay, this is when a man or a woman is born again. So when we talk about being ministers of reconciliation, that Father God has committed to you and me the ministry of reconciliation, we see the first branch or the first primary division of the ministry of reconciliation is the, uh, the division or the branch of the new birth. Now, out beside that new birth, we've got this phrase in parentheses. The new birth removes enmity between an individual and God. It removes enmity between an individual and God. Now, <clears throat> let's, let's take a step back because we said reconciliation has to do with going from a place of, of disagreement into a place of agreement. Reconciliation has to do with restoring harmony or union where there was once division and separation. If a husband and wife are separated in their marriage, but work things out and come back together, we say that they reconciled. They, they have you know, chosen to work through their differences and have come back into a place of union and harmony. So associated with this word reconciliation is this word enmity. And let me spell it for you. I've got some slides on it, but I'm not going to try to go back and find them. The word enmity is spelled E-N-M-I-T-Y. Enmity. Enmity. And enmity is just speaking of anything that replaces harmony between two people. Enmity on a spectrum can be anything from just a simple disagreement or difference of opinion all the way up to violent, even murderous hatred. All of that is on a spectrum of enmity. So, for instance, the Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity against God. To be carnally minded means a man or a woman has been born again, but they still think for the most part like someone who has not been born again. They still, for the most part, think like someone who, who is lost, who doesn't know God. So this enmity, I'm just trying to think of other places that you may be familiar with the use of this word in the New Testament. So the new birth removes enmity between an individual and God. So we know that sin separated us from God. Jesus came to not just cover over our sin, but to take our sin away, to, to remove it from us um, so that it would never separate us from God ever again. This is the first division of the ministry of reconciliation. The second one is discipleship. And discipleship removes the enmity within a person between their soul 
and born again spirit removes the enmity within a person between their soul and born again spirit. So, two primary divisions. Let's, let's talk about that last one for a minute. It's, it's a theme that we will be dealing with and on uh, many times in the days ahead. But the enmity within a person. I said a moment ago that when you were born again, it was your spirit that was born again and made new, not your soul. Remember, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a physical body. Your soul is that part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. Said another way, your, your soul is the combination of your mind, your emotions, and your will. Jesus, through the new birth, removed the enmity that existed between you and God, me and God. This allowed our spirits to join back together with His and to become one with Him. And that happens instantly. That happens in less than the twinkling of an eye when a man or a woman calls upon the name of the Lord and receives His gift of salvation in the new birth. But then we come to this second branch of the ministry of reconciliation. And this is the branch of discipleship. This is not an instant work, but it is an ongoing work. It is, it is a work that involves growth and development and learning and maturing and developing. So you have the new birth that removes the enmity that separated us from God, but now we have enmity residing inside of us and rests itself. Listen to me now, this is very important. That enmity will manifest itself in wrong behavior, in, in sinful even behavior, but its root is deeper than our flesh that is performing that behavior. In other words, it has a, a root in our, our minds. It has a root in our thinking. So when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about removing the enmity that remains within a person. okay? And that enmity, to clarify, it is not in that man or woman's spirit, it's in that man or woman's soul. It's, it's, and, and, and when we say in their soul, we often think of the choices, but remember, thinking produces emotions, and emotions influence the choices. So where the real problem, to identify, the real problem is in our thinking after we've been born again. Now, last week I gave you what has, over the last 18 years, become somewhat of an outdated illustration. And that's the example of reconciling a checkbook. 
But when we reconcile a checkbook, it's when we take the statement from the bank in one hand and our checking account register in the other hand and we bring them into alignment. We bring them into agreement. So in a day of debit cards, and, and thankfully we've got apps on our phone now that give us a balance in our checking account, these sorts of things. So you have to use a little bit of imagination, especially if, you know, if you're a younger person. But back in the day before any of that existed, we got debit cards before we got apps for our, our phones. Okay, So you know, I would have the debit card, Pam would have one too, but she would have the checkbook. See, some of the, you're dating yourself by laughing, so it's okay, you can laugh, right? Because people, they know what was happening, right? I would use the debit card and fail to give her the receipt or tell her so that she could write it in the registry. And so it was an adventure when we would get the statement from the bank. Because she would think we had a certain amount of money only to find out when the, when the statement came from the bank that, uh, that hubby here had uh, spent some money on the debit card that had not yet made it into the registry. So what do we do when we reconcile the book? We take what we think we have and bring it into alignment with, we reconcile it with the truth of what we actually have. Okay? So if you can understand that, that is this second branch of the ministry of reconciliation. It's when you bring what you think is true about you into alignment with what God says is true about you. It's when you bring into alignment what you believe you have into alignment with what God says you have. It's when you bring into alignment what you believe or think you can do, you bring it into alignment and agreement with what God says you can do. This is discipleship. This is the ministry of reconciliation. Remember, all those things we said, I'm not going to try to go back over all of them, but one of the things that, that we said about discipleship is it's, it's not necessarily about becoming something you're not, but discipleship is about discovering what became true about you the day you became a new, cre new creation in Christ Jesus. You became something the day you were born again that you were not before. Most people know more about the person they were than the person they, they became, and so they tend to live more like the person they were instead of the person they became because that's how they think. So when we talk about discipleship and it removing the enmity that's within a person, now, I don't want to like scare you off or, or irritate you, but, but I, I, am, I am not, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. There's no such thing. Um, it, it, I don't want to shock you on that, but see, this is, this is where we, we fail to embrace what's been done for us. I was a sinner, but when I was saved by grace, I became
unwrap it in the process. If you understand Jewish tradition and what they do to people, you know, preparing them for a tomb. I mean, it, it took a minute for that evidence, him being alive, to be unwrapped. Amen. Well, he wasn't rotten under there. Can you imagine some of them folks? Man, like, I ain't touching that, man. I, you know, I'm not. So that's, I didn't really spend a lot of time on it. But remember, it starts with the love of Christ compels us. You've got to love somebody. Listen, I'm not trying to get, especially if you have a queasy stomach. His flesh had begun to decompose and rot and had soaked into those rags, that, 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 that those claws that he was wrapped in. I mean... We're talking about something that was pretty messy here. It was gooey. I mean, it was, you might say gross, right? It, let's just, let's try to be more civilized. It was off-putting, okay? Um, it, it, it was not, uh, you know, glamorous. Um, you know, we, we think of Lazarus, come forth, and you know, him coming out of the grave, and the, and the crescendo from the orchestra, and, and all this other stuff, right? And that's what a lot of people think of, of, of ministry. You know what I'm saying? If, if you're going to be involved in ministry, especially if you're going to be involved in recovery ministry, right? I mean, you, you, you're going to have a lot of folks that show up at your door looking like and smelling like death. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's just that simple. And spiritually, and, and mentally, and emotionally, what, what have you. Um, but see, that's, that's the, the unwrapping of it, right? I love the way you said that, Donald. It's, that's, the, you know, that's the revealing of it. That's, that's the bringing it forth. And so, you know, people saw him alive, but they also smelt the residue that was of his death still in those cloths. And I imagine some of them were kind of like not even wanting to look because, you know, what are we going to find under there, you know? Um, and I'll tell you what they found under there. They found new life. They, they found a man raised from the dead. They found one of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed on this earth as, as a human being. So, praise God. Amen. All right, we're back. I'm not sure why we lost sound. Um, one of the, the benefits, and I always try to focus on the positive, when all that happened last week that took out all the cabling and, and sound, power, and uh, not sound, but internet, um, when, when we called AT&T, they're like, hey, um, for $10 more a month, and I'm like, please don't do this to me right now, ma'am. You know, I'm like, you know. She goes, no, 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 listen to me, Pastor, listen to me. I, you, you, if you don't want to do this, it's fine, but I think you're going to want to do it. I said, okay, tell me what it is, and then get me some help out here, please, please. And she says, for $10 more a month, we can give you 1,000, how do you say it, meg of speed internet in, and 1,000 out, okay? All right, to give you some idea, if you've got 100 in and 20 out, you're doing good, all right? So this is like, she said, when we first offered this package, it was 800 and some 60-something dollars a month. And, um, and she says it's been reduced two or three times. And now um, I said, is that an introductory offer? She says, no, that'd be, you know, I said, bring it on, sister. Thank you for it. So, so anyway, we, we got, I'm looking here at our thing. It's, you know, uh, amen. So I don't, I don't think it was an internet issue that caused us to lose sound. But here we are, nonetheless. All right, so here, I, I mentioned a drawing a moment ago. He, here is um, one way that I try to illustrate this, just sort of kind of make a, 
an impression in your mind is the ministry of reconciliation. And so then the two divisions or the two branches, the new birth and discipleship, the new birth and discipleship. So let me let me ask you, let's go back now. I want to connect some things together. So the Bible says that you've been reconciled to God. It's a born-again believer. You've been reconciled to God. And you've been so reconciled to God that you've been given the ministry now of helping others be reconciled to God, to opening the door of reconciliation for others to go through. That when you speak to them, it's as if God Himself is speaking through you to them, imploring them, begging them, pleading with them to be reconciled um, to God. All right? But we also see that in order for us to be effective in this ministry of reconciliation, that he committed something to us called the word of reconciliation. Well, the word of reconciliation is just a very beautiful and poetic way of saying the word of God. The Holy Bible is the word of reconciliation. It is that bank statement, if you will. It, it is the truth of God's word. Now, watch this very carefully. If, if you wanted to get somebody born again, you know, somebody, if somebody came to you, um, uh, Sister Gail, I, I, I need to get saved. I, I, I heard you got saved and Jesus done a work in your life and I see him working in your life and I want what you've got, okay? In order for Sister Gail to lead that person to the Lord, she's going to have, now she may not quote it chapter and verse, but she's going to have to share with that person something from the Word of God in order for that person to be born again. She's going to have to tell them about Jesus and what Jesus did for them. And, and ask them if they believe this in their heart, if they will confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and that God has raised Him from the What's the point? The point is, if we're going to be effective in the ministry of reconciliation as it pertains to people being born again, we're going to have to learn how to share with them what the Word of Reconciliation, what the Word of God has to say about the new birth. Amen. And, and so the, the beautiful thing about it is you, can, you could go uh, half a world away to a population that has never heard the name of Jesus a single time in front of those people and start telling them the story of Jesus from the Word of God and faith would be activated and aroused in those people's heart to hear and believe and receive the message that you're delivering to them. One of my favorite ministers of all times, a man named Jerry Odell and his beautiful wife, Sister Marilyn Odell. And he has these things that he goes through. And I, I, amen, I can't do it as well as he can, but, but he, he simply says this, you know, it's the message, not the messenger. You know, we, we think, oh, I could never somebody to Jesus. I, I don't have what it takes. I don't this, I don't that. Again, the power of God unto salvation is in the message of the gospel uh, that we share to someone, right? That we share with someone, that we give to someone. So as you begin to share with them the Word of God, remember faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So when you begin to tell those people from the Word of God what Jesus has done for them, the power of God to bring salvation to those people, message that you're delivering to them. That's why our assignment is to speak to people, Right? It, you know, the, the ministry of reconciliation as it pertains to the new birth is to share with them what the Bible has to say about these things. And then let the Holy Spirit, let the Word of God, the power that's in the Word of God, let the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, do the work in their lives. So we've got the ministry of reconciliation, the first, again, I always check myself because 
obviously, you want to get somebody born again. That's, that's, uh, that's first things first. But it, it's real easy to just say one's more important than the other. And I think that's part of what's happening in the body of Christ today is that we've been so excited about getting people born again, but haven't really had that same enthusiasm when it comes to discipleship. And it's in the discipling of people that get born again that helps those people then go and become ministers of reconciliation themselves. So it's, it becomes an exponential multiplication, uh, if you will, of um, the, the workforce and the effectiveness of uh, the ministry. Now, I want, you, I want to give you uh, several verses. Uh, whoa, 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 thank you, Holy Spirit. Now, it's, it's pretty obvious that you know, the role plays in ministering the new birth to people. But in the same way, the Word of God is critically important to the other branch, discipleship, right? So when we talk about a discipleship counselor, we're, we're talking about someone who, who ministers to another person, but helps that person identify things in their thinking, not their behavior. You've got to get past the behavior. For every wrong behavior, there's, there are underlying wrong thinking. You know, out of, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, Jesus says, from the heart spring forth the issues of a man or a woman's life. And trying to help them resolve their issues, that we overlook the fact that there's something deeper inside of them that's producing that issue. And if you never get to the root, you will never uh, you know, change or correct the fruit. And so the root is something internal. So a discipleship counselor is someone who is able and you know, speak the truth in love, but it's a person who is able to help individuals identify enmity in their hearts, places and areas of their life where they think in a different way about themselves and see themselves in a different way than God sees them and then help them bring that into alignment with the truth. Where, where now all of a sudden... They're, they're, they're seeing what God says about them. They're seeing what God says about their situation. They're seeing what God says about their abilities. And their thinking is coming into alignment with His. Amen. So in, in, in both instances, um, the, the branch of the new birth, as well as the branch of discipleship, the word of reconciliation um, is uh, our most you know, important tool. Not, I'm not... Again, I'm not trying to rank one over the other. Obviously, the Holy Spirit, but you know, when his when you start talking about him and his anointed word, he's going to be there uh, in, in in the middle of that situation. Is are you following what I'm saying here tonight? Okay, so Amen. Let me let's do this. So I I want to some of these verses we've looked at before, but in in this situation, I want you to notice that in the verses that we're about to look at, that we see both branches um, in, in the passages, okay? So um, here, here is one that we looked at early on, 1 Timothy and 4. For, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Desires all men to be saved and to come 
to the knowledge of the truth. Do you see both branches? Do you see both branches there, right? See, as I've said so many times before, I used to think that these verses basically were just repeating them. That coming to the knowledge of the truth and getting saved were the same thing. It's not the same thing. Obviously, you've got to come to some knowledge and understanding of what Jesus has done for you to become born again. But there are a whole lot of people who've been saved that have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth. So we see there both the new birth as well as discipleship. Um, How about this one? Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. For whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. You have to look a little closer uh, at this verse. But when he says, I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, he's referring to the first time that he labored among them to bring the message of salvation to them. And this, of course, is, is his work among the people there in Galatia where they received salvation and were born again. Now he says, I'm laboring among you again, this time until Christ is formed in you. Literally, until the image of Christ becomes your self-image and the inward reality of your new birth becomes an outward expression of your daily life. The inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of their daily life. So Paul understood this ministry of reconciliation, that it wasn't just getting people saved. And I don't mean that to trivialize the importance of that. Um, I mentioned a moment ago Jerry and Marilyn Odell and Odell Ministries. See, they partner with other folks like uh, Pastor Sam Chelajarai in India. And so they go into these remote areas of India. They do open-air crusades. People get born again. But they also have a Bible school in India that trains pastors. So once um, government has changed a lot in, you know, in, in recent years, but here was, here's the strategy, here's the plan. To, to preach the gospel and get a whole bunch of people born again, but then establish a church in that area, and then take a pastor out of that Bible college and bring him to that church to then disciple those men and women. Watch this now, to teach those men and women then to go win their fellow countrymen to the Lord. See, just people who, I forget, is it 13 million, Pam? I forget just in in India alone, the number of people who've been born again that that came forward in, uh, answered an altar call to receive Jesus in an uh, open-air crusade, ministry uh, event, right? We used to think, man, that's, that number's hard to wrap your mind around. But whoa, whoa you're thinking right, okay? It's, that's an amazing number, but the, the greater number that only heaven will reveal one day is how many folks, those 13 million, have won to the Lord since then, right? Because, because the word of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation came to them in both branches, the new birth and discipleship children for whom I labor in birth again. He labored once so they could receive the new birth. Now he's laboring amongst them. Uh, discipleship, we said one of the things to understand about discipleship is the process by which the inward reality of the new birth becomes 
an outward expression of life. All right, let's go now to Philippians 1 6. Philippians 1 6. And um, it says this being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, beginning a good work in you is talking about what happened through the new birth. And Jesus being committed to you, what He started in you through to completion is that second branch of uh, the ministry of reconciliation. Alright? Let's stay in Philippians. Let's go now to Philippians chapter 2 and uh, verses 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for His good pleasure. Now, when he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, sometimes in, in the way we use the English language, when we hear work something out, you know, we think of like two people you know, trying to, uh, 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 among other things, Brother Donald is, a, is an absolute fabulous uh, car salesman, and you know, if, if uh, he's working on a sale with somebody and there, there's a, a disparity between, you know, what they're willing to pay and what, you know, the lowest dollar the dealership will, will, will take, then they, they work that out, you know. Um, sometimes we, we hear, like, working something out and we think that it means to make a deal with. That, that's not the context here. The context here of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling goes back to salvation started inside of you, deep inside of you. And discipleship is now the process of working what's inside of you outward from you. So working out your own salvation with fear and trembling doesn't mean you negotiate a side deal with God for your salvation doesn't mean, um, look, you figure it out. <laughs> Sometimes we, you know, we think it's like, okay, look, just figure out your own salvation. You know? um, Robbie Knievel, evil son. Um, I, was, though, I was a kid, you know, that, there was superheroes. The superhero movies weren't what they are today. I mean, they were very fake. You know, cinematography isn't what it was today. But a dude that would take a Harley Davidson and jump over 20 you know, buses with it, that was... Even though he crashed more than he landed, you know, it, that was like the superhero for me. And so then along comes his son, and his son's, you know, doing all these jumps and things that his daddy with him. You know, they were asking him, and he says, look, me and God's kind of got our own deal worked out. And I'm like, oh, brother. No, so you don't understand, man. <laughs> that, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about you and God working out your own deal on the side, Okay. He's talking about what's in you, right? Let, let's go back to the Lazarus example and what Brother Donald was talking about. It's the, it's the unveiling, it's the unwrapping, um, you know, working it out, becoming 
and outward expression. I got a lot of favorite verses. If you know, sometimes I'm even asked, "What's your favorite verse?" And most more times than not, I say this: Hebrews ten fourteen. Hebrews ten fourteen. Okay, it says this: For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It's one of those verses, like any verse for that matter, but it's one of those verses that would serve you well to spend some time meditating on what he's really saying here. But for our purpose now, uh, do you see, again, the two divisions? Do you see the two branches? Where he has perfected you forever through the new birth, and now there is an ongoing process of you being set apart from this world to him and to his purposes for your life. So, at one level, we have a past completed work that is perfected. Perfect, perfected here means uh, complete, uh, full circle, uh, nothing lacking, uh, no stone unturned. We may say it that way. For by one offering, speaking of the offering that Jesus made of himself for our sins, he has perfected forever, perfected forever. Think about that now. Again, I know there's different opinions about this, and, and I'm not here to try to pick a fight with anybody, but... What do you do with this verse? You know, if he says he has perfected you forever by the one offering of himself, those who are being sanctified. He's, he's literally saying, again, I'm asking you, spend some time meditating on this, right? Just in your quiet time, a long time with the Lord. But he's literally saying that as a born-again believer, you're a perfect work in progress. Think about that for a moment. You'll never understand it, first of all, if you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, because, you know, we, we think of ourselves as a one-dimensional being as opposed to what we really are, and that's a three-dimensional being. And as a three-dimensional being, the most important dimension of your existence, your born-again spirit, has been perfected forever. Okay? But as a perfected forever being, you still got some growing and some developing and some changing and some maturing uh, you know, and some sanctif sanctifying, some setting apart from certain things and set apart to other things, okay? So you're a perfect work in progress. These are the two divisions, the two branches, again, in a singular verse of the ministry of reconciliation. The new birth has perfected you forever. Discipleship is this ongoing work of being set apart from the world unto God. Amen. All right. Where does our time go? Let's, um, let's go back now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and, uh, and verse number 18. I'll put them up on the screen. Um, we have uh, obviously been here a time or two already. Um, let me go ahead and put them both up. It says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. We've got good news to tell the world. The good news that we have to go tell the world is not that they're going to hell. I mean, that's the truth. That is the truth. But the good news is not you're going to hell. The good news is you don't have to because somebody already went for you. Okay? That God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The, the understanding that Paul had of the love of God began with the love that God had for him, but then it very quickly 
went from realizing the love that God had for him to realizing that God, because remember Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. If he loves me this much, then he also loves other people this much. And now he was compelled, uh, motivated uh, to go and tell them of this great love and this reconciliation opportunity that they have uh, now uh, available to them with their Creator. That God um, was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. That's another key phrase that is mentioned here, but expounded upon in other places in the Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. Where God literally now in the New Testament, does, He doesn't keep a record of our wrongs anymore. Impute is a, an accounting word. It means to keep a record of. He is no longer keeping a record of our trespasses. Wow. Man. See, man. Just, it's a beautiful thing. So the world says that a leopard can't change his spots. But the God who created the leopard, right? He can change those spots. But the world says you made your bed, now lay in it. Psalm 139 says if you make your bed in hell, Father's going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. Not only trying to get you out of the hell that you made of your own life. Watch this now. You made your bed now, you've got to lay in it, except for Jesus came and laid in that bed for us. See, he, 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 I made the bed, and I should have had to lay in it. But Jesus said, you know what, I don't want you to lay in that bed. And the only way I can get you out of that bed is if I go lay in that bed for you. And so he went and laid in that bed for us. He reconciled us. But see, this is where we've got to, uh, in the days ahead, we're going to look at some key salvation terminology. One of those words is this word propitiation. Some call it propitiation. It can be pronounced both ways if you look it up in a dictionary. Propitiation simply means Jesus took the punishment, the wrath of God. He took the punishment and the wrath that we deserved so that it could be um, lifted off of us. God is a just God, can't just sweep sin under the rug. If sin's been committed then punishment has to be handed out for that sin. And so Jesus allowed himself to be judged and punished in our place. That's what it means for him to be the propitiation for our sins. But what the, what the Apostle John, uh, through the Holy Spirit, revealed to us is that Jesus is not just the propitiation for your sins and for my sins, but he was the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. So the good news that we have to go tell the world is that Jesus has already taken the blame and the punishment for what they've done wrong. He's already paid that price for them, and so they don't have to pay if they will call upon uh, Him and trust in Him. Not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Has committed to us the word of reconciliation. All right, so let me just, uh, I'll put this, I'm going to put a few slides up here. Um, 
let me come back to this. I apologize. I, I didn't realize I had left the overlay on that long. The word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation. I want you to become familiar with that. Uh, the word of reconciliation. <clears throat> the word of reconciliation. And then here is another very important um, conclusion that we need to come to. The quicker the better. We cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the word of reconciliation. We cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the word of reconciliation. Okay? So, how do I... How, what's, there's so many different ways that I want to say this, but let's go back to what we were talking about a minute ago. You know, I can't save anybody. I, I, you see what I'm saying? I, I can't... I can't... Uh, do that in my own self, okay? But that's not my assignment anyway. Jesus has already accomplished what has to be accomplished for a man or a woman to receive salvation, okay? So my assignment is to tell them what He has done according to His Word, what He has done for them, and that's how a man or a woman receive salvation. It's not my job to save them. It's my job to tell them about the Savior. Right? And this is how a, a person is born again. So when we talk about the ministry of reconciliation, early in this section, I share with you how there's so few people in the body of Christ who are interested in being involved in ministry. And then there's another big group of people who are interested but don't, don't really feel like they have what it takes uh, to do it or to, or to be successful. It's just a huge part of, of discipleship and, and discipleship being that bridge from your salvation experience into the fulfillment of you know, God's purpose uh, and destiny uh, you know, for your life. But what we have to understand is that is that God has not asked us to do these things on our own. He, no more than He asked Jesus to go do what Jesus did on His own. Jesus said, I can't do anything apart from my Father. Without, without Him, I'm nothing. Okay? Um, without Jesus, we're nothing. But we're not without Him. And so when we talk about the ministry of reconciliation, the, the word of reconciliation is the, I don't want to say secret weapon, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a secret, so to speak, but I'm just, I'm just trying to, it's the advantage that we have. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God is the advantage that we have in, in, in being effective in the ministry of reconciliation. So, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but let me say some more as we work our way through this. If you are going to be, if I'm going to be effective in the ministry of reconciliation, it's one thing, it's one thing to be given a ministry, it's another thing to be effective in that ministry. And since the word of reconciliation, the word of God, the word of reconciliation is such a key factor in, in our ability to function in the ministry of reconciliation, it, it goes without saying that the more 
understanding of God's Word, the more skill that we have in God's Word, the more effective we're going to be in God's Word. So uh, let, let me try to show it to you this way. So let's say somebody born again yesterday. God can use them. You know, they, they may not be able to, uh, you know, so let's say they get saved and, and they're, they're, they're telling their best friend at school, you know, hey, let me tell you what happened to me last night. I, I got born again. And I really think you ought to look into this as well because it's made such a difference in my life already and it hadn't even been 24 hours yet, right? So now, it would, it potentially would only be natural for that person to have questions. Well, you know, I, what about this? And I, you know, I heard about that. And, you know. Well, see, again, if this person's just born again, they may not know how to answer those things. I'm not saying God can't use them. He certainly will use them. So don't think I'm trying to say you've got to have some All right, we're back. Amen. Um, it's not the video. Usually the, the video, when we were having streaming issues, the video went, and, but we, we maintained audio. So praise God. Um, but certainly you can see how the, the more that young man understands from the Word of God, the, how... Um, so we proclaim the Word of God so that men can be saved. And we also... Alright, let's, um, let's go to Mark 16. There's a few more verses and then we'll, we'll finish it up for tonight. Praise God. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for um, your patience uh, with, with some of these technical issues. And um, Amen. All right, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Okay? Now, Romans 1. I'll put it up on the screen. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. What is the power of God to salvation? The gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Okay, same book, but let's go now to the 10th chapter, Romans chapter 10, and uh, verses 13 and uh, 14. Romans 10, 13 and 14. It says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So do you see the layers here? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Sister Gloria Copeland, if you've ever heard her testimony, she didn't really understand a whole lot about salvation, how to be saved. Just the Holy Spirit was dealing with her. Her, her uh, mother-in-law had been praying for her, Brother Kenneth's uh, mother and, diff and different ones. And she came to just the end of herself one day uh, early in, in their marriage and she received salvation. She said, God, would you please take my life and do something with it? Now, I know that for some folks, you know, that are real, you know, strict, it's like, no, 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 you've got to say these specific words. You've got to say, you, I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth, and all, all that stuff. Listen, I, I understand all that. I don't necessarily disagree with all of that, but you can cry out to God from a sincere heart and receive salvation without being able to quote 15 Bible verses. Okay? And I think it would be pretty obvious that the Lord heard her prayer. <laughs> he took her life and, um, and he did something with it. Okay? So whoever calls on the name of the Lord, name shall be saved. Okay? But he wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But notice he says, how will they ever call on him whom they've not believed? You've got to believe to call. Okay? How shall they believe in him if they've never heard of him? If they've never been told about Jesus, how can they believe in him? And how can they call on him unless they believe in him? But then notice where it ends in verse 14. And how shall they hear without a preacher? He goes on. It doesn't and how can they go and preach unless they be sent? Amen. All right. Now, this is probably a good spot for us to stop uh, this evening. Let me tell you where we're going uh, next class. Next class, we're, we're going to look at, when I say the Word of God itself, I don't necessarily mean every verse in all 66 books, but the Bible has a lot to say about the Bible. What do I mean by that? For instance, the Bi in the Bible we find that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And, and that word inspiration of God means that it's God-breathed. Um, the Bible tells us that um, every word that comes out of God's mouth has been sent to us from heaven with a purpose in mind and that in those individual words is found the power to bring those words to pass. There is power in the Word of God to accomplish and there is power in the Word of God to prosper in the thing that God sent it forth from His mouth to accomplish in the thing that God sent it forth in His mouth to prosper in. So when we talk about the Word of Reconciliation and the power, the, the life that's in God's Word, the, the freedom. Remember, Jesus said, continue in my word, you'll know the truth. <laughs> and the truth, will, you'll be my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. There is power in the word of God to make you free. There is power in the word of God to separate you from the things of this world. There is power in the word of God to separate you from a foul mouth. There's power in the word of God to separate you from, from lingering habits of the flesh. There's power in the, in the word of God. I mean, oh, I get stirred up by this, okay? So that, you know, well, we're just trying to appeal intellectually to people um, and maybe sometimes we'll use the Word of God to do it and maybe sometimes we'll use this approach. And that. No, no, see, again, you're misunderstanding. 
the, the value, the power that is in the Word of God to make a difference in people's lives. Well, you heard Sister just a minute ago. She said, that verse saved my life. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was power in that verse that did that. Amen. So that's where we'll be uh, next class. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, thank you for helping us uh, uh, despite some of the issues with the equipment tonight. And Lord, I thank you that you're helping us uh, get whatever we need to, uh, for this ship to fly uh, smoothly without interruption. Um, Lord, thank you for watching this live, that's watched this in the archives, that may even watch this 10 years from now. Lord, speak to our hearts through your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we believe you for good things now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being with us uh, today.